Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Kind of short notice. I appreciate you you pulling it together. Uh, I, I've been kind of back and forth between the United States and Israel, trying to reach as many people as I can with 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 a set of questions. So I, I think we ought to do tonight. It, you know, it's it's a small group. We'll we'll kind of keep it intimate. I'd like to pose three questions off the bat, and maybe try to process those questions as I speak. And I'll keep it pretty brief. And then I'd love to hear people's reactions, including if you have answers to those questions. I, I think it'd be great if we could, if we could hear each other, and, and, and I'll react to, to, uh, 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 to what you're saying. The three questions are very sincere. First is, should there be Jews? Should there be Jews in the world? Uh, and I, when I say sincere, I mean, let's be open to a negative answer. Um, second question is, if you answered yes to the first question, should I be Jewish? If you answered yes to the first two questions, what should I do in order to be Jewish and to uh, uh, perpetuate the, this, the, the existence of a Jewish people in the world? The three questions that I think we need to ask today. I don't think we've had to ask those questions for at least 2,000 years, uh, in that we've had anti-Semites to ask and answer that question for us. Uh, today, we're in a very different uh, very, very different situation. In order to describe the situation, I'm going to give you my, my answer to those questions, or, or my original answer to those questions, which today I think is, is the wrong answer. This, this, this does not work. Um, but I do think it's, it, it's the answer of many Jews, in, both in Israel and the United States today. Uh, so I, I grew up in a, in what I'd say is a, is a typical uh, American Jewish family, in that we didn't really practice any form of, of, of Judaism at home. We occasionally had Shabbat dinner. We went for Yom Kippur. We went to, uh, to our uh, uh, local temple. We drove there. Um, that was pretty much it. That was, our, that was our Jewish life. My three older brothers married non-Jewish women. And my nieces and nephews are not Jewish. Again, more or less typical. This is the breakdown for most American Jews. So we kind of look like uh, a, a typical American Jewish family. My younger brother and I moved to Israel, and we married Jewish women. Uh, and we'll get to that afterwards, because that was a pretty arbitrary thing as well. It's not that we decided that we wanted to marry Jewish women. It's just that that's, that's who you meet uh, when you're in Israel. Um, my Judaism meant almost nothing to me. It was kind of as arbitrary as being right-handed uh, until I saw a photograph. I was 16 years old. I was, I was in boarding school in, in New Hampshire. And I saw the photograph of the boy in the Warsaw Ghetto. And if you've read the book, forgive me for, uh, for repeating the story, but I, I think it's pretty central. Um, it's the boy with his hands up. 
with the guns pointed at him. If you, if you don't, it's one of the more iconic pictures from the war. If you don't remember it, if you just Google boy in the Warsaw Ghetto, it's the first Google image that will show up. I was struck by the picture. It's a powerful photograph, but I was conscious of being struck by it for the wrong reasons uh, right away, in that the, the framing of the picture, you have the boy in the center, and you have the Nazis on the right with their guns pointed at him. And it's framed in a way that begs this juxtaposition between his innocence, he, mu he must be six or seven years old, and their brutality, right? They're pointing their guns at, the, at this child. And that tension just didn't speak to me. I knew it's supposed to be there, but it didn't, it didn't get to me. And if you look at the picture, you'll see that the, it's a very clear shot. It's, it's, it's in very sharp focus. You can see the, 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 face of the, of the, the faces of the, the three Nazi soldiers. I couldn't muster hatred or even anger for these three boys. They looked, frankly, like victims. Uh, they looked mainly irrelevant. Uh, I, I didn't know much about Jewish history at the time, but I knew enough to, to understand that this is part of the Jewish cycle. This happened in Spain, this happened in Russia, this happened in Iraq. This, this, is, this is our story. Uh, it's a cycle. They're just playing the role of the Cossacks or the Farhudis or who knows uh, who, inquisitors, uh, crusaders, the, 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 these people come and go. It's just the uniform that changes. That, that's not really what's interesting here. What's interesting is the left side of the picture, uh, which I think often gets neglected, but was the only part that really spoke to me, which is the boy's family and neighbors. They're, they're being evacuated from the building. If you don't remember this part of the picture, don't, don't, don't kick yourself. I, I think most people don't even see it, but it's worth, it's worth Googling and just looking at it. This is 1943, it's the final liquidation of the Warsaw Ghetto. Their building is being liquidated. They're coming out in a procession and they have the same look of shock uh, that the boy has on his face. And their, their, their body language is, is a kind of submission. And I was furious, I was furious. I, I looked at these people and I, I, I couldn't understand how they could have allowed themselves to get to this situation. Don't they know that this is the Jewish cycle? That the Jews need a contingency plan, you need a plan B. You're not Poles. If you, if you allowed yourself, if you were complacent enough to allow yourself to, to th think that you were abrogating your fundamental duty to this child, which is his physical protection. As far as I know, everybody in that picture was dead in, you know, in a week or two. Uh, didn't take long for me to ask, well, hang on a second, what's, what's my plan B? Uh, I've really only conceived of myself as, uh, as an American. That's really the only group I've ever felt that I, 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 I belong to. At my age, when my grandfather was my age, I think he conceived himself primarily as a German. He wasn't, uh, yeah, he happened to be Jewish, but he was German, for, for first and foremost, until he was notified that he wasn't anymore. And the only identity he could keep, the one that couldn't be stripped from him, was Jew. And I started asking myself, is America a special phenomenon? Is this a new epoch in Jewish history? Or is this just what it feels like at the ascendant part of any cycle? Is this what it felt like to be a Jew in Germany at the turn of the 20th century, or in France in the middle of the 19th century? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, if you put a gun to my head now, I'd probably say it is a new animal. I do think America is something special. And, and the book has been attacked probably justifiably. As I, I'm, I might be a little bit dismissive of anti-Semitism that's rising on the left in this country, maybe. Uh, we can talk about that afterwards if people want, but in general, it's something that I certainly have been able to ignore. My kids have been able to ignore. I don't think any, very few Jews in my generation have actually experienced anti-Semitism, and definitely in my kids' generation. That's a very uh, 
not in a way that actually matters or affects, uh, affects your life. But again, I understand that that's debatable. I'm happy to hear people's uh, uh, views on that. Nobody wanted to talk to me about that question. Uh, there were other Jew a lot of Jewish kids at, at Exeter, at my school. That was, just wasn't a question that you talked about. My family thought it was strange asking that. You know, they, they, uh, I went on a teen tour in Israel, something that was kind of, kind of a precursor to birthright, and, and just fell in love. I, you know, looking around, I saw people who were not only courageous enough to ask that question, uh, but unlike me sitting in a dorm room in New Hampshire, they had actually answered that question. And here they were uh, reclaiming Jewish agency and, frankly, Jewish dignity. To me, the fact that these people were willing to sacrifice and even die uh, for their freedom to be Jews was inspiring, it was energizing. Uh, and all of a sudden, I felt like I was in the wrong place and I was doing the wrong thing. This is, this is what I've got to be doing. Uh, and through a kind of a, a, just a funky chain of events, I, so I ended up moving to Israel during college, uh, became a citizen, was drafted, and found myself in the Air Force Academy. Very unlikely chain of events, but ended up uh, graduating and, and, uh, and, and joining a fighter squadron. And that was such a, a, a consuming experience that I really didn't have time to ask that question again for years, for years. It was, all I could do was, was just kind of struggle to keep up at the academy and then in, in the squadrons, it's just a very intense uh, uh, life. Uh, I never really asked myself why I was doing what I was doing. And when I finally got a chance, it was probably six or seven years in, to take a step back and, and think about the path I'm on, I look back here and I see my nieces and nephews in Colorado and in New York and in Florida um, thriving as Americans. Um, the fact that their fathers uh, are, are Jewish means nothing to them, nothing to their friends. They are completely accepted here. And I'm beginning to think, oh, hang on, what if there is no anti-Semitism? Imagine a world with that, that, that is not a phenomenon. Would I still exist? And unfortunately, I'm asking this question now after I've done things that I can't take back, right? I've been in combat for years. I flew for 18 years uh, in, in, in the Air Force. Uh, you do things that are just irreversible, obviously. A uh, little late to start asking those questions. Is this really important to me? What I think kind of started off to me as a, uh, some adventure, kind of a, a Peace Corps type uh, or Teach for America type, type adventure, I, I never kind of realized would spiral into something so committal. But here I was, you know, both feet in, and I had to come up with an answer. It took me a while to realize that the wrong answer that I had going in was not the same wrong answer that my squadron mates had. They also had the wrong answer. Uh, to me, every time I took off, every time I flew into combat, I was doing it for you, and you, and you, and Jews in Vladivostok, and Buenos Aires, and everywhere. Everywhere. That's what we were doing here. My kibbutznik wingman was not. He was doing it for Israeli Jews, for Israeli Druze, for Israeli Muslims, Israeli Christians. He doesn't care about you. He does not care about you. Uh, he's an Israeli. And if he can shed his Jewish identity, it's just a burden for him. By the way, just as much a burden as it was for my parents in, the, in, in this country. Uh, he will do it. He wants to be Israeli. His, he craves normalcy, which I completely understand. I don't think it's available to us, but I understand, the, I, I, I understand that need. It's, it comes from the same place 
of the assimilated, that, uh, that assimilation in, in the United States comes from. So I spent the next 20 years or so writing this book. Uh, I didn't know I was writing a book. I, I just started release a journal to try to get my thoughts together and try to reconcile some of the things that I've, I've done and frankly continued to do for, for, for many years in, in this process without the conviction that I had in the first six or seven years uh, that, that I was doing it. But I, but I still, still performed the function. Um, and came to a very, very different answer uh, over time. But before I, I, I get to that, I want to lay out a, a dark scenario. I don't know if, if it's the base case scenario, but it's not a ridiculous scenario that has a world with no Jews two generations from now, or at least the last generation of Jews being two generations from now. And that is as follows. 90% of us live in the United States and Israel, and the trend is toward the 100, not toward the 80, right? These are the, the communities that are, are, are growing or, or, or maybe growing slowly, remaining static. Israel's growing, the United States is static. Uh, Europe is shrinking, Latin America is shrinking. We're headed toward the 100% in these two jurisdictions. If you buy the thesis that these are two patently philo-Semitic jurisdictions, then we have a real challenge here. And, and to be clear, there has never been a federal law in this country that discriminated against the Jewish people. You can't say that about any European country, can't say that about any Muslim country. This is truly a special moment, I think, in Jewish history. Does that mean it has to be forever? No, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's guaranteed, but I do think it is, it, it is quite special. And if there are no anti-Semites or not enough anti-Semites to impose Jewishness on us, we have to choose it ourselves. And we're not, we're not. Right, so the, the 2013 Pew survey, which I, I rely on maybe a little bit too heavily in the book, and I, that, that's been challenged as well, but the numbers aren't way off if, if they're off, has 72% of non-Orthodox Jews who marry in this country marrying non-Jews, 72%. Uh, we have 1.9 children per Jewish family, and fewer and fewer of us actually get married. Those who get married get married later, which has a similar effect to not getting married uh, at all. So in an equivalent 2003 survey, 59% of adult Jews were married. In 2013, 51% of adult Jews were married. It's almost a 20% uh, decline in, in the number of Jews who are married. You don't need advanced math. I lay it out in the book. It takes one page. Run that out two generations. My grandchildren's gen assuming the trend is linear, which I understand is not, not necessarily what you need to assume, but it could be worse than linear also. My grandchildren's generation in this country is less than 5% the size of my generation, meaning people who have two Jewish parents. And let's be clear, the way we deal with intermarriage today, and I'm gonna say something provocative, and I had a debate with Rabbi Sachs in, in London last month where we, we had it out over, over this specific issue. The way we deal with intermarriage today results in almost none of the grandchildren of intermarried Jews identifying as Jewish, almost none. Uh, that's something I think we can address. We don't have unanimity on, 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 on how, but we, we can talk about that uh, as well. But that's the trend that we're on in this country. Now, it could be cyclical. A lot of people you know, will respond, you know, we're the forever dying people. There's been somebody in every generation that's, that's uh, cried gewalt, and, and it hasn't happened. That, that's true. Uh, I, I'm going to say, if you, if you uh, wake up the Thanksgiving turkey on Thanksgiving morning and ask him how the, the day is going to go, I'll say, well, based on the last 1,000 days, it's going to go fine. We know something he doesn't know. And just because you've been around for a long time doesn't mean you get to be around forever. Right? Every civilization, every culture, every nation 
has had a beginning and an end. The Persians didn't call their demise 50 years before it happened. The Romans didn't call their demise 50 years before it happened. I don't know if we're, 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 we're going to be so special either. But I hope it is cyclical. That'd be wonderful. It could be exponential, though. And if you think about it, you know, I have a brother in Boulder, Colorado. The odds of meeting another Jew of the opposite sex and of similar age in Boulder, Colorado are very, very low now. Uh, one generation out, right? my kids' generation, not my grandson's generation, they're going to be pretty close to zero. It's just not going to be something that happens. So unless you're really seeking out, you're on J-Date and you're seeking out a Jewish mate, it's not something that's going to happen naturally in a city like that. In New York, that'll go on for another generation or two. That, 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 that's true, just because of the numerical concentration. But America's the good news. Uh, Israel, to me, is much more concerning. Because if you're willing to accept a world without Jews, um, and again, I understand people who, who, who feel that way, this is definitely the way to go. No gas chambers. It's just love. That's, that, that's how we're going extinct. It's pleasant. It's wonderful. Again, my brothers are happy people. My nieces and nephews are happy people. If you're going to die, this is, this, is, this is how to do it. In Israel, I see something very different happening. Uh, in, that, in that moment of extreme agency and the revival of Jewish dignity, we were very busy. And we didn't have time to sort out all of the issues that come with reclaiming sovereignty. And I think in certain cases, that didn't matter too much. In certain cases, it, it, it really did. And, 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 and there's one that I think is really existential today. And you know, I, I, I look at what goes on in Israel. I'm not really that concerned about Iran. I'm not really not that concerned about the Palestinians as, as existential threats to Israel. That's not really what's, what's going to get us. This is, if we, don't, if we don't do something about it. We, we set up a Jewish state, but we never bothered to define exactly what that means. And what's happened is three separate visions have coalesced in Israel. And you could argue that they were around in 1947 when they were codified into specific communities uh, uh, in Israel that are completely incompatible. And unless we can find a reconciliation, I, I worry about the existence of Israel. And the way we go in Israel is a much more traditional Jewish demise. It's bloody. It's not, it's not like in the United States. And I call those three visions the secularist vision. Secularist vision is what we're doing here. Jewish statehood means a physical refuge for the Jews of the world, structured as a democracy. That's about it. That's Herzl's vision. You can go a little bit farther and say Chadam's vision, which we're going to have the cultural trappings of Judaism. Our national holidays will be Jewish holidays, right? It'll, it'll be Pesach and not Christmas. Fine. Uh, but we're not going to impose religiosity on the citizenry. That's, that's not the idea of, of Jewish statehood. And when I say secularist, I don't mean secular, uh, because there are plenty of, of, of observant Jews who are secularists, who, who would fall under that category. The second group I call the territorialists. <clears throat> they were around in 1948. They became very relevant after 1967, uh, which is a group who, it's very small, I think we're about 200,000 people, uh, who feel that the land of Israel is a divine gift, and it's not a human prerogative to relinquish it. Uh, again, I'm not judging any of these uh, uh, groups, but you can understand the incompatibility of that. right? You cannot be a democracy and a Jewish state and sit on all the land of Israel. That, that just numerically does not work. What should you do? I'm not, I'm not answering that right now, but 
th those two visions are incompatible. And the last I call the theocratic vision of Israel, which in 1947, in the, when this was codified in the status quo agreement of November 1947, this community was a few thousand people. Uh, these are ultra-Orthodox Jews uh, who cut a separate deal with uh, Israeli society. Today we're talking about a million people. Uh, these people live in a different country from the one I live in or have lived in uh, in Israel, meaning the rights and obligations of citizenship are distinct and different. We're not, we're not citizens of the same country. Uh, I pay taxes. I send my kids to fight for the country. They do not. Uh, they're doing something of extreme value, I think, to Israel and to the Jewish people. But here's something I think we need to get in. Without judging any of the visions, but we wanna, I'm going to back up a second. We're going back to the secularist vision. Those kibbutzniks that I flew with, they were secularists, staunch secularists. In fact, I think they were the first Jewish anti-Semites uh, I, I ever encountered. The first time I ate on Yom Kippur, maybe the one Jewish thing I did every year was fast on Yom Kippur. First time I ate on Yom Kippur was it, at the Air Force Academy. And it was a feast. It was a feast. Uh, and I write in the book, Grilled Cheese Sandwiches. I didn't want to shock anybody. It was ham and cheese. Uh, that's, that was the Israeli Air Force in the early 1990s. Uh, socialist, kibbutznik, anti-religious, not irreligious, anti-religious. Uh, the ambition of normalcy that, that these people aspire to is simply not on the menu for the Jews, as far as I'm concerned. I just don't think it exists. It's not going to happen. Uh, again, I understand, I, I understand the desire. So I'm not, I, I, I'm saying that in order to, I want to make sure it's clear. I'm not, not trying to uh, um, rank or grade any of these three visions, but there is something that we need to be very clear about in Israel. We live in the Middle East in order to survive. The reason I don't see Iran as an existential threat, in order to survive in the Middle East, we need to be strong militarily. There's simply no choice and I don't see that going away anytime soon. It is the most savage, violent region on the planet by far. The rules are, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine from sitting from the United States. I even, I even lose sight of it when I'm here for, you know, for, for a few months and I go back and I realize, wow. Um, when we talk about the rift between American and Israeli Jewry, I think that's, that's actually at the core of it, is, is you don't feel it here, you don't feel it. It's, it's difficult to imagine what, what life is, what the Middle East is actually like. Um, we need to be strong militarily, and in order to be strong militarily, we need to be strong economically. Uh, and people who argue, well, you, you know, Israel gets a lot of U.S. defense aid. U.S. defense aid covers about 8% of the Israeli defense budget. The other 92% is the Israeli taxpayer. Who is the Israeli taxpayer? So about 20% of the Israeli tax base is accretive, right? They pay more into the system than they take out of the system. And 80% takes out more than they put in. That's just like the United States and pretty much every capitalist democracy, 80-20. That, that's, that's how taxation works. That's, if you study fiscal policy, that, that, that's pretty much the rule is 80-20. Israel's not special in that respect. However, that entire 20% is secularists. That's who's paying the taxes in Israel. Again, they might live in Ariel or in Efrat and come and work in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem uh, during the day, but they're, they're secularists. That, that is that, that community. The secularists, secularists also send their kids to fight the wars uh, uh, in, in, in Israel. 
The, the territorialists send their kids to fight, and frankly, I think they're the best people we have in the military today. I, I love them. I, I disagree with their vision, but I, 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 love, I love the ethic uh, that, that, that drives them. If I want to be, if I'm going to be in a foxhole with somebody, I want to be with them. They're, they're wonderful. They're kind of the kibbutzniks of, 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 of this era, I, I, I find. But they're a tremendous fiscal burden. <clears throat> Again, not judging the morality of, of the vision, but fiscally, the, the infrastructure and defense of people who live in Judea and Samaria is far more expensive, billions of dollars more expensive than the tax that, that uh, accrues from, from, from that part of the population. The theocrats, who are now about a million people, contribute to neither. Don't send their kids to fight. There are some green shoots that might, might start to, that might be changing a little bit now, but certainly not, not, not in any dramatic way. Uh, and don't pay taxes, right? Don't really work the men, almost none of the men, or say a very, very small minority of the men in that, in that, that community really, really work. Uh, so a burden on both sides. And what I see gradually happening in Israel is people who don't really, aren't motivated by the idea of a Jewish state, which is most secularist Israelis, are starting to ask themselves, why am I doing this? Why exactly am I doing this? So I'll, I'll, I'll put a point on it. And th this happened before the book came out, it was, but it was already, it was already in, in print, so I, I, I couldn't, uh, couldn't include it. But it, it really sort of exemplifies the story. Uh, I had dinner with a friend from the squadron in New York. He, uh, he's a little younger than I am. He, he, he got out uh, around the year 2000, went to the Technion in Israel, which is a, a kind of a technical university, became a software engineer, started a company, uh, and sold it for really a lot of money uh, to, to a company in California. And he agreed to move his team to California and run it for two years as part of the, as part of the, the deal. Uh, and he had just finished that two-year period and had resigned. He was in New York with his wife, who's similar. She was in uh, an intelligence unit in Israel. She's an analyst. Uh, also, they met at the Technion. Also, just a brilliant woman. Two uh, call high-tax high bracket Israelis who contributed. She was an officer. He was an officer. They contributed a lot on both of those kind of twin burdens of, of, uh, of, of, of existence in the Middle East. And I asked kind of innocently, although I asked this question not so innocently pretty often, what, what are you guys planning to do now? You know, you don't need to work, you've got young kids, uh, are you going back to Israel, what's the... And she jumped in, and, and I usually hear this with people who have older kids, I think she, she was just thinking ahead, she said, we're never going back to Israel. Okay, uh, so what's that about, why? She said two things, one that I, I think I capture in the book, one that, I th what, that that's, that's kind of new and I think is worth, worth considering here. She said, first of all, by the time our kids are of army age, they will be serving what we call in Israel a, 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 an, an ayatollah regime, a medinat ayatollah, theocracy. Uh, I'm not willing to countenance a scratch on my boy's head in defense of that. That's no way. The second is the freedmen's who live across the street from us in Los Altos have a grandfather who just got on a different boat in Poland than my grandfather. And why does that give him the right to send his kid to Stanford and uh, you know, get drunk at parties all weekend while mine has to sit at a checkpoint and get shot at? I don't, I don't accept that deal. I don't accept that deal. That was a trick of fate that I can reverse now. I have a green card. I'll have citizenship in this country in a few years. I like this deal much better than the deal we have in Israel. And she's right. She's right. 
If you don't have a Jewish reason to be in Israel, she is absolutely right. If all you're optimizing for is your own material success and, frankly, personal happiness, it's a hell of a lot easier to do it in Arizona than it is in Tel Aviv. So we need a real reason. And what I see happening today in Israel, and we see this in New York and Silicon Valley, two places I spend a good amount of time in, is exactly the Israelis that we need to shoulder that twin burden of Israel's physical defense and economic defense are abandoning ship. They're not doing it on purpose. This is not a, uh, a, a protest move. They're getting on a plane and saying, I'm never coming back. They're coming for a graduate degree or coming to run their company in California or work for Google or, or a hedge fund or, or, or something like that. And as the years go by, and this typically happens when you're a kid, and I described this dilemma because we went through it last, you know, a couple of years ago with our, with our oldest, when your kid gets to age 16, you realize something, uh, is that when you live in Ranana and your kid turns 16 and all of his friends got draft papers and he got draft papers, you go with it. That's, that's, you're not making a decision. This is, this is what a kid does when he's 16. He starts getting ready for, for the army. Uh, in the United States, if you're Jewish, you 16, you start getting ready for college. And you know, if your kid doesn't want to go to college, that's a discussion. But if, 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 assuming that your kid's going to college, you, there's no decision happening here. That, that's kind of the track that, that we're in. We don't like to make decisions in general as human beings. That's, not, uh, that's something we, we, we tend to want to avoid. When you're sitting in Los Altos, like my friends, uh, you actually have to make a decision, an active decision. My, my friend's wife made it much earlier. I usually encounter this, and I've interviewed a lot of Israelis who live in the United States when their kids turn 16. That's exactly the time where you really actually have to make a decision. What do I stand for? And more and more are saying, this is not something I'm willing to do. Uh, about half of my squadron lives outside of Israel, and I think almost all of them permanently. One is a very accomplished neurosurgeon in, in Australia and Sydney. One has been living in Seoul, Korea for 20 years now. One's in Beijing. Two are in California running companies. One runs a hedge fund in New York, one in London. These guys are permanently, it, it, I think almost all of them, are permanently lost to Israel. Uh, some of them have military aged children who are here. They're not there. Uh, I'm not faulting anybody. I'm not judging anybody. But we should all understand, if a critical mass of us marries non-Jews in this country and doesn't raise their kids as Jews, it's going to end. If a critical mass of Israel's defenders stop defending Israel, it's going to end. What's good for the individual can be very bad for the community. That is a path we might be on right now. And I don't want to say it too emphatically, because I, you know, I, I've, I've come off as a, as a doomsayer, and I'm not. I'm an optimist. I think you know, with, with this challenge, we have probably more agency than we've had in 4,000 years, not 2,000 years. We are at, at peak Jewish power right now, economically, politically, socially. Uh, we're organized. If we get behind this challenge, I think we can solve it. If we want there to be Jews in the world, if we want there to be Judaism in the world, we can organize for that to happen. But without asking the question, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to stop here. Uh, I'm happy to take any comments or questions, but if anyone is willing to take a crack at answering uh, one or, or more of, the, of those three questions, I, I, I'd be grateful to hear your answer. Should there be Jews? Should I be Jewish? What am I willing to do in order to make those two outcomes happen? Yes. Oh, yeah, no, go ahead, yeah. 
us perhaps on that. But if you were analyzing a Holocaust and 400 years of the Inquisition and um, the, uh, the Jewish genocide, the Crusades, and I mean, sure. there's no way to see a good end to any of them. I don't know. Are we just hoping for pixie dust every time? I don't like to call it that being the <laughs> presence, but you see, I'm trying to just keep the conversation. Right. I don't. I don't think it's um, possible, even if we believe what you're saying, to press ahead if we don't have some type of faith element, and there's not a relationship where that faith sometimes um, seems to be valid. Right. So like, you use the word divine and God in there. I, I don't have a good argument for that. If, if you are a believer and you think that we are on a path that's charted by somebody else um, and, and all we have to do is, is you know, l- l- let that somebody else guide the path, you're right. I, I don't have an argument for that. Right. They didn't. Sure. Yeah. So I, I so I, I I agree with that. And to be clear, I'm not not being dismissive of of of, of right of of faith. I don't have it. I don't have it. Um, and frankly, I think we, we, we another argument we had on stage with that about sex. I'm pretty sure Rambam didn't have it either. Um, Maimonides. Uh, I, I don't think faith is really a prerequisite. It's not like Christianity, where faith is the only mitzvah that matters in Christianity. In Judaism, I don't think it matters. I don't want to say it doesn't matter at all, but it's really a secondary uh, 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 notion. We're really concerned about what you do, not so much what you think or what, what, what you believe. Uh, which takes us to this point, is I think we're a place where we should be doing something. Uh, I, I Again, I, I, I have... L- little to argue with somebody of faith who says, no, this will be carried through. But somebody who says the past performance argument, so that's called statistical fitting, right? You see something that has happened many times. It's a great way to lose all your money in the stock market, is find a trend that's happened every single time. You don't understand why it's happened or what, what, you know, but there's a correlation here that that, that, that's happened. And if you have have enough data, you can find, listen, I can show you the New York Times. You can do gematria on the New York Times and have predict uh, you know, the, 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 the impeachment of Richard Nixon in, in the 1929 edition of the New York Times. You could do that. Uh, I wouldn't use it to try to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow, though. Um, I, I don't know of a civilization, I don't know if that's what we are, or a people or a culture who called its own demise, as I, as I started with. I, I just, I, you know, so I think that logic has been in place for everybody, not just for the Jews. Right? The Phoenicians, I imagine, had that. Right? The Moabites probably had that. They didn't have a consensus you know, 100 years before the end that we're 100 years out, then there are going to be no more Moabites. And yet, that's what happened. And that's the rule. There are really no exceptions. You know, we, we happen to have been here for close to 4,000 years. By the way, there are other people who have been here for that long. There's, there, there are, we're not the only people who have been around for a long time. It doesn't mean you get to be here forever. And again, maybe we shouldn't be here forever. I think that's, that, that's also legitimate. I want to be. I think, it's, I think there, there is good reason, and I do think there is something we should do about it. And, and the last thing I'll say is maybe, maybe in all of those scenarios, right, in the Inquisition, in the Holocaust, maybe we had a few gadflies 
and all those times who said, you know what, we need to do something here. Uh, let's get on a boat to Recife and get out of here. Let's go to Istanbul, let's do something. Uh, all right. Yeah, but can you can you can you tell us why? Why does it? Well, I think that the Jewish doctrine has been the most civilizing doctrine in human time. I mean, it, I don't want to say that I watch Vikings on the channel because it's terribly based. But if you see any kind of pagan, like it's just incredible that we ever tried to pick ourselves up out of an animal existence, and and the Jewish doctrine. And it continues to pay off in other areas. If you do any of these recent movies, the statistics of Jewish contribution sure. are areas of civilization. I think there's some magical thing there that needs to be maintained. I'm going to borrow the word civilizing, if you don't mind. I like that a lot. Well, the second one, yes. Should I be Jewish? Yes. trying to save our Jews, and Jews by definition don't exist in the original faith, it isn't the only solution to saving them, faith. All right, so the question is, are there Jews without faith? Um, and should the answer not be faith? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I probably disagree with your premise on both counts. The, the second one is the easiest one, which is we can't impose faith, uh, right? I can't make my kids believe. I don't believe. Uh, I can't, I'm definitely not going to make my kids uh, uh, believe. So that's, it, just from a practical perspective, it's a toughie. Um, the second is, as is, is, is we were saying earlier, I'm, I'm not sure how central faith is to Judaism. So the reason the book is called God is in the Crowd is in researching the book, I interviewed a lot of particularly young Jews, both in, in this country and in Israel, and asked those questions and often get the answer, well, I, I don't believe in God, so it's irrelevant. I say, well, hold on a second. That, that, was never, that was never a prerequisite for being Jewish. We care about what you do. We really don't care so much about what you, what you believe. That, that's, not, that, that, that's not critical. And came up with this notion of, you talk about miraculous. So to me, miraculous, and I, I write about this moment where I'm standing on the Cardo in Tsipoli, in, 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 in Galilee, in Israel, uh, which is a kind of critical place, an unsung place in, in, in Jewish history, where the redactor of, of Mishnah, uh, Yudha Nasi, lived during the third, the third revolt against the Roman Empire, the last revolt, when diaspora really, really, really began. Uh, And I'm looking out and trying to picture what, what, what that moment was like. And had you asked yourself, OK, we're going to be dispersed way beyond Babylon in the east and Rome in the west, way beyond. We're going to all the farthest corners of the earth. We're going to be in Saskatchewan and in the Pampas. We're going to be all over the world. There's going to be no pope, no central governance of the Jews. We're not going to be coordinated. A community in Casablanca is not going to be in touch with a community in Lodz. We are, we're not in contact with each other. We, in, for, in fact, for most of diaspora, don't even know about each other. It's not that we don't know each other. And we're going to evolve dramatically 
Judaism in the year 500 is very different from Judaism in the year 1000, which is obviously very different from Judaism today. What are the odds that 1,800 years later there's going to be a coherent identity called Jew in the world? I would have bet everything against that at, at, at that moment. And yet, here we are. So one of the things I argue is, is there, there has to have been some governance mechanism in diaspora to keep us coherent, to keep us as, 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 a, as, as a real uh, identity. And I borrow a lot from, from an area in statistics called the wisdom of crowds. And kind of very simply put, if I were to, let, let's say there were more people in this room. Let's say we'd had, we had 150 or 200 people in this room, and I were to hold up a jar of jelly beans and ask everybody to, uh, to write down on a piece of paper, not say out loud, their guess as to how many jelly beans there are in the jar. Uh, and then we were to take a simple average of everybody's guess. In most runs of that experiment, the simple average is going to be closer to the real number of jelly beans in the jar than the best guess in the entire group. It, it, it's, it's pretty astounding, but it's very consistent. And we trade on this. We have a, a hedge fund that trades essentially on, on, on the statistics of, of, of crowd wisdom. People use it to predict box office uh, 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 results for, for, for movies. It's a, it's, a, it's a very kind of, again, I think unsung uh, uh, area in statistics. When we assemble ourselves into groups in a certain way, right? not every crowd is wise. Most crowds are not. Most are arbitrary. Some crowds have some very uh, malevolent characteristics. You know, The mob is also a dynamic that is an individual can't muster. You need a group of people together to be a violent, a violent mob. Um, so crowd wisdom requires uh, certain prerequisites. I won't get into them now, but I'm happy to talk to anybody later if you're, if you're particularly interested. They were all present for most of Jewry during most of the period of diaspora. And I think that essentially was the governance mechanism uh, that kept us coherent for, 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 uh, for all of these years. To me, there's a higher intelligence in that. Right? When we come together in community in a certain way, there are certain insights that we can achieve. I think there's also we have access to certain spiritual resources that we don't have as, as individuals. We have others as individuals. You know, I do meditation, but that's a very individual, personal uh, 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 connection. It's a very different connection to be singing in community, very different. Uh, that's actually God enough for me. It's a higher intelligence that works. It doesn't require faith. I can actually experiment on it. It works for my, my, my kind of mind. But here's, I think, the best news, is that you and I, and I'm, I'm guessing from your question that you do have faith, you and I can work together. You, you and I can be on the same team. And the way I've, I've, I've come to think of it is, is if we run a, a business together that makes circles, that's our product. And you know, anybody, the rabbi can come and order a circle. He just has to tell us the radius of the circle. We'll build it to his, to his specifications. Uh, and Rabbi Shmuley can order one with, with a different radius, and we can we do his. We need a point around which to draw that circle, right? We need a point and a radius to define our circle. That, that, that's pretty much it. I can be of the opinion that that point can be anywhere. It doesn't matter. It can be on that wall, that wall. It can be on the floor, on the ceiling. It can be in space. It just doesn't matter where you put the point. You're going to get the same circle as, as long as you have the radius. You need a point, but it doesn't matter which point. You can be of the opinion that, no, for this circle to be kosher, the point has to be in the middle of that wall. Otherwise, it's not a kosher circle. I'm not willing to. We can work together. Let's just do it where you want it, because I really don't care. Now, it requires a certain love between us. And, and we're going to get to the, maybe the, the, the family aspect, because I think family is probably the best way to define what we are, uh, uh, what, 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 what the Jews are. 
you have to be able to accommodate the fact that I think you're crazy that the circle has, that the, 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 the point has to be in the middle of that wall, but fantastic, it's not hurting anybody, I love you, let's do it, that, that's okay. I need to be able to accommodate the fact that you think I'm a heretic uh, and crazy uh, in, in my own way to do it, but it's okay because the masse is the same masse at the end of the day, right? We are, we are doing the same thing. I think we can actually be, build something together. Again, I, I don't have to indoctrinate you into my view. You don't have to indoctrinate you. We don't have a pope to tell us what's right. We have to duke it out. That, 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 that is Judaism. I think the, the, the kind of funky faith that I have and, and the solid faith that you have are actually compatible for what we're trying to do. And again, we're not trying to agree on everything. That's never been Judaism. We're, we're, we're disagreeers, right? We're dissenters. That, 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 that's who we are. Long answer. I hope, I hope it's satisfying. <laughs> I'll give you three answers, and these are mine. Uh, you can have very different ones. I, I, I think it works. This is a family, and I've, I, I felt that. When we went to protest to free Soviet Jewry in this country, people that we hadn't had contact with in three generations, we didn't know them, but it was critical to us. We marched. When I came to Israel and we were absorbing a million and a quarter Russian Jews, when there were four and a quarter million people in Israel at the time, right? through the pension system into immediate default, massive economic burden. There's no question. I don't remember a single protest in Israel we need to turn back the Russian Jews. They're family. So just as I don't, ex it, it's difficult for me to explain exactly why I would give my life for my daughter. I would. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a very instinctive thing for me, and I feel it for our people. I, you know, I, I have for, since I was, since I was a, a young person. I also feel a certain immortality in community, in that, again, as a person who lacks faith, I, I don't think, and frankly, I don't think Judaism really gets into this very much either. I think the last time I shut my eyes is the last time I experience anything. I don't think there's anything I'm going to feel anything after that. That's it. However, I don't stop influencing. And I live life, and we all live life, in two tracks. We're experiencing and we're influencing. Just having lived in the world, you are leaving an indelible print on the world. It will not be the same because you were in it. Your impact can be directed, it can be, it can be arbitrary, that, 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 that's up to you. To me, there's real immortality, and I think we all, I certainly do, crave some sort of immortality. I don't believe, again, in, in a, any sort of experiential immortality, but I, I like the idea that there is, I, I am part of a chain that I'd like to perpetuate. Uh, and if I think of myself in those terms, you know, sometimes I'm an individual, sometimes I'm a cell in a bigger organism, uh, th that gives me a lot of personal satisfaction. Again, that, that's a very personal thing. And the last, I think, comes to, comes to, the, to the, 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 the lady's point on the civilizing impact of Judaism. Justice, and I'm just taking one example, justice is not a natural phenomenon. It does not occur in nature. It's an invention, it's a human invention. 
it could have been invented in a lot of different ways. It has been invented in a lot of different ways. Justice has meant very different things over, 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 over the millennia. The fact that we have a written testimony on consensus and dissenting arguments on matters that are definitional, matters that are definitional to the, to the notion of, of, of justice, to me is a huge asset to, to the world, right? Maybe it's a civilizing uh, uh, notion. By the way, there's also a tradition of papal edicts that goes back 1,600 years, and that's, I think, also a very valuable thing to have recorded. But that's one man's view of, of what should be. This is a crowd wisdom view. This is a, a temporal crowd wisdom. It's a snapshot of generations, an evolving ethic. And to me, that's, that's incredibly valuable to humanity, just as if you kind of look at constitutional law in the United States. And we're structured very Talmudically, I think, as a, as a country. We wrote down a code that was meant to be amended from the beginning, right? We were striving to be more perfect from the beginning. When a case gets to the Supreme Court, a constitutional gets to the case gets to the Supreme Court, we do record the consensus views and the dissenting views, the dissenting views often being much more uh, uh, um, uh, uh, voluminous than, than, than the consensus views. And we can track the trajectory of the evolution of our sensibilities as Americans. And that's a, a, a hugely valuable piece of what, what, makes, this, what makes this country work from, from a lot of people. Judaism has done that for, I, I would argue, not 4,000 years. I think it's 2,000 years that we've, we, we, we've, we've been doing that. Uh, to me, it's a, it's a huge privilege to be a part of that chain, a part of that, uh, of, of that process. So it's something that I, I'd like to perpetuate. Those are my three answers. I, I, I get it if they don't register, and they, you know, they, I don't think they have to. I think, I think it's okay. Yeah, you're not the first person to say that. Listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. <laughs> mentioned how 1,800 years um, we survived against all odds. Nobody would put any money on it. And that's true. And that's because of the textual tradition, the Talmud, the, the Tanakh. I mean, there's no doubt about that. There was no pope. There was no governing authority. But yet, 1,800 years, we, we, we came. We're here, stronger than ever, like you, like you said. Also, with technology today, we have the internet. I mean, I can give myself as an example. I was living in Asia. I was as far from my Judaism as you were for a long time. And through the internet, well, I had a teshuva that was very strong, very internal. It wasn't like the, a, a Christian coming to God in that sense. It was a, it was just, just, it just came up and it was based on family, community, which is a big part of it. And through the internet, I found Rabbi, which I was living in Japan at the time still. 
uh, a year, a couple years before I came back. And the text of tradition, I was looking at texts, I was reading stuff online on Shabbat. I did stuff doing Shabbat in Japan, nobody around me knew what it was. My wife was very understanding, I married uh, a Japanese woman. Um, anyway, four years ago, and, and because of the text tradition, because of the texts that we have, and because they're now like that, and just, that was so powerful. And that really brought me, and I'm just one example. So we lose a lot of people who do marry. My brother has married a non-Jew. His kids are doing Christmas, they're doing everything. My other brother, he's not married because he just, he's a chef, he works 24 hours a day. But anyway, so my point is that I think that when you apply the, the model you apply, which is fine. I mean, the past, what was the word he used? Past model on... Oh, past performance past was performance, that, yeah. Right. We have such a new dynamic, a new paradigm right now that it has to be factored in. And I think that's a really positive thing. I and agree. also with family as well, you mentioned family. It is a family, and it depends how close you look to it, whether you're a first cousin, brother, sister, right? If you get to a person, you, if you get too close to one person, all you see are cells. There's not even an individual. You're the United States of cellular, whatever. You get further away, further away you see a person, it could be a certain distance to see a person. You get a mile away, you can, and you know, so Judaism as a family, I think, can be, I mean, there's different levels of it. Actions go all over the world, they change the world, as the Tanakh has, we, you know, and then too close, of course, you know, I just think distance and family, all these things that you talked about, are just so woven into, like, our whole lifestyle, through our, you know, the courts, we said, through the things that we get through the Torah, that are part of our mentation and part of our laws and our courts and all these things together. So I think that this is the most positive time to be Jewish, I think, the most, the most optimistic, personally. All right. And I just, and not, this is what I thought. I to get your opinion on those points. Okay, yeah, so for, first of all, I, I, are you in the technology space? You... No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm originally a Jew, but humanity. Okay. Um, if you read the book, I, I propose a, a blockchain. Mechanism. The, the third, the, the third third of the book is a business plan. It's it's very specific, very prescriptive. Th this is one way to do it. Frankly, I, I think the questions are much more important than my answers. But I want to give an example of here. Here's what a plan could look like, uh, and and there's a big technology component to it. And I think we Talmud can be reinvigorated through the blockchain. I, I think that's actually a very uh, career, you know that? Talmud is. Yeah, I know. Korea. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I, I don't know if I'm a, again, I, I, I don't consider myself a pessimist. I, I know other people do, <laughs> but I, I don't. I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I think we have, we, we, but it's because of our tremendous agency today, right? It's because we have access to, for example, technology and a lot of other resources. That, that's you know, definitely not the only one. Um, but the challenge, I think, is, is, is real. And I, I, I think we ignore it at our, at our peril. And I think the good news also is, I, I, even if we weren't threatened, this is something I'd want to do because you know if you, I, I, I'm getting a sense just I, I don't I don't know you but I'm, I'm gonna I know a couple of people in this community I, I I'm getting a sense that you are a, a a more thoughtful than average Jewish community and I speak to a lot of communities around the country uh, and I'm assuming many of you interact with 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 Jews who are not not at the on this side of the spectrum and that's the vast majority of us. Uh, here and in Israel. Our Judaism means almost nothing uh, uh, to us. By the way, those are the people I'm trying to reach with the book, and I'm not doing so well with those people. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, that's, I think that's, that, that's our big uh, challenge. We shouldn't ignore that. We should want those people. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, thank you. One of the many constructive things I see you trying to do is to bring the Kali Israel and the Jewish people together with the respect to learn from one another. 
Um, and, and, I, and I think that's really constructive. And so I wonder how you conceive of family. I think that that's a really big question right now, as you know. And one, one end of the spectrum, you know, today has more stringency than ever in terms of who is kind of a part of that family and who's not, and almost a suspicion as to whether you're in or not from the start. Yeah. And the other side, for example, on the, the model of the reform movement is called radical hospitality. It's like yeah. Post-modernity, if you claim you're something, you are something. Yeah. Like you, you are essentially a part of the family by stating it. And I wonder sort of how this, in this postmodern era you think of who's in and out of family. All right, so I'm really glad you asked. Uh, I'm going to make a few people angry, I think. So who's in and who's out? How do we find, you're right, we've got radical, radical inclusiveness on kind of one end of the Jewish spectrum and kind of radical exclusiveness. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so here, here's an interesting thing that, that I think is, uh, th there's, there's a lot of consensus around this. And if you agree with this, then you're, you're on the path to, to maybe not killing me for what I'm about to say. Uh, Somewhere in the 12th century, there are three Ashkenazi Jewish women, somewhere that is kind of currently, uh, I, I, I think, Ukraine-ish. Um, they're Jewish, indisputably. There are thousands of non-Jews in the world who carry these women's mitochondrial DNA. Mitochondrial DNA can only be passed from a mother. Uh, meaning halachically, these people are Jewish, right? They're one five hundred and you know the twelfth Jewish, but they're, they're they're Jewish halachically. Does anybody feel that these are Jews that we should be fighting to bring into the fold? People who have for thirty generations had nothing to do with with Judaism or the Jewish community. Uh, are, are these people we should be fighting for? If you agree that that's not necessarily somebody we should be fighting for versus somebody who has, for example, a Jewish father um, but not a Jewish mother, I, I, I think that there, there's, a, there's a real danger of kind of going overboard with, with, with exclusivity. And on the other hand, with in inclusivity as well. So here, here's something interesting that's happened on this, on this book tour is I've been approached by probably a dozen, maybe more, grandmothers. Uh, separately in, in different, diff at different occasions, but all of them share some version of the following, of the following story, which is I'm a non-Orthodox Jew in America, but all of my grandchildren are Jewish. So I've bucked the statistics. Everything you cite from the Pew survey has not applied to me. My husband converted. Had I married a man who was born Jewish, I don't think this would have been the outcome. So I ignored that three or four times, kind of okay, a cute story. Uh, and then at some point I said, wait, hang on a second, there's something going on here. There's, there's something, I'm hearing this too many times, there's something really interesting happening here. And I don't know what exactly it is, but here, here, here's a theory, is these are couples who actually had to ask the questions that I'm asking right now. I didn't, I married a Jewish woman. We never had a discussion about whether we're gonna be Jewish, obviously. We never had a discussion about what raising a Jewish family means. Well, we did much later, way after we had, uh, we had kids. Uh, <laughs> you have something urgent to say? I mean, I just think that, that uh, ties together with what you said earlier, what kept these communities Jewish was that they had to choose every day to be Jewish, right? Didn't that play somewhat? So, okay, so I... I yeah. What kept them Jewish was just the, the, the 
So I, I think there are a few things here, it's, and this is conjecture, but, but this is what I'm taking from, the, from, from those discussions with, 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 with the grandmothers. One is what you're saying, uh, is that it's a decision. It's a decision. When you ask your intended spouse to convert to Judaism, I think a discussion should ensue, right? Why? Why is that important to you? You don't keep kosher. You don't keep Shabbat. Why is that important to you? And okay, so now the Jewish asker has to actually say, oh, why is, it, why is that important to me? Um, the second thing is there's some knowledge. And I'm imagining that most of these, or maybe none of these, were uh, Orthodox conversions. Um, but in any type of conversion, there is some sort of knowledge that has to be accumulated, by the way, and that's usually as much on the side of the Jewish uh, spouse as the, as the non-Jewish non spouse. And I think knowledge is critical. We are in a, 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 an educational drought in, in, in Judaism today. I think those, those two components are, are critical. And then there's purpose, right? Uh, what's the difference between that and taking that radical inclusiveness approach? So what I've been thinking, and, and this, this was the debate with Rabbi Sachs, which I, I said we, we didn't agree, but he didn't throw me off the stage either. And it was, uh, so I, I think this, there's actually, you know, I, I think some, some openness to this, to, to this notion. <sighs> Belief has never been a test, but there should be a test. And I think we need to be able to define what it means to get into Judaism. And I don't think it should be easy, but it should be objective. It shouldn't be two men in Jerusalem deciding who's Jewish and not Jewish. That doesn't work. That's killing us, I think. Uh, I propose in the book a process for doing that. And again, I don't think it should be easy. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say something that, that again, might, might rub people a little bit the wrong way. But there is something special about this people, right? You talked about Jewish achievement. It's conspicuous, right? You, the Nobel Prizes, the, everything. I mean, there, there's, it's... It's, it's not something you can really avoid if you're, if you're looking at, 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 at this people objectively. And I think part of it is that it's hard to be a Jew. It's hard. There have been periods in diaspora in certain areas that accommodated apostasy. Didn't always have to be a Jew. And I think there was a bit of a selection bias uh, in that. The people who left were the people who were having trouble struggling. And when you've got somebody down the street saying, just accept Jesus Christ, and you're on equal footing with everybody, you don't have to be a Talmud Chacham and... Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and be elevated in, in, in your debates. Uh, you don't have to feel like a loser, that you can't, you can't be that. Th there's a bit of a self-selection here. I think you can work the other way as well. And since that discussion, I've been researching, and, and Rabbi, maybe you know, I, I, I don't. I'm trying to find out where matrilineal descent became the test. There's, in Tanakh, I don't see it. In fact, I see almost the opposite. I, 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 when, what, what makes that the holy uh, uh, test of, of, of belonging to this community? Yeah, so, I, so today we've got better means, right? We've got, we've got better means to figure out. Right, right. So is that something we want to stick to today? And I think if, if we're talking about a numbers crisis, which, which we are, if we have people who really want to be Jewish, <coughs> really want to sacrifice in order to be Jewish. And I'm talking about people with one Jewish parent, but the wrong one, and people with no Jewish parents, but who are sincere in, in, in wanting to do this. Should we not be re-questioning, re-examining the, the, the notion of rejecting the convert three times, and maybe even trying to solicit uh, the convert? Setting a high bar, setting it in a way that's, that's uh, I think, transparent, and not, not, not by two men who have 
or accountable to nobody. Um, something to think about. Business. Did you feel like I know some people who went to Harvard with a lot of liberal agendas? I'll, I'll repeat the question. I'm sorry, I'll try to talk louder. There's a lot of liberal professors. Do you feel that there was some kind of liberal uh, diversion for you to have a different attitude? That was one of my questions. The second question is you brought something very interesting that uh, American Jews and Israeli Jews have. There are both people who are, whether Holocaust survivors or people who left uh, Poland or Europe to come here. A lot of people in that generation, what Hitler uh, did was he was actually very successful in many ways. He destroyed complete generations of yeah. Jews. So obviously, not only do we have a lot less Jews, uh, but on top of that, we have a generation of Jews who were not allowed to practice in Europe. So a lot of these Jews who are Jewish, A, didn't realize they were Jewish, didn't know what Judaism was, didn't know, how, weren't allowed to speak Yiddish, weren't allowed to do that, weren't allowed to, had to cook on Shabbat or people would come in their homes and murder them. So you have a great generation of people who know they're Jewish, but to them there was not, this, the teachings were lost. Right. So it's this generation and, 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 and teachings like our wonderful rabbi, who have brought a lot of this back to a lot of people. Um, and I think that is something that both you have in Israel and you have in this country. And therefore, you have a lot of people who don't know what the big deal is of being Jewish. Okay, I'm Jewish, but what does that really mean? Yeah. Because that whole education is gone. And there's also something called Jewish pride. You know, you have people who have black pride, I hope I'm not insulting anybody, black pride, gay pride, I'd like to see some more Jewish pride. I don't see Jewish pride. Not only don't I see Jewish pride, I have people saying, be careful wear it when you wear your star or hide it. Somebody's going to be anti-Semitic. I love letting people know that I'm Jewish. And I think that's also a problem. My children went to medical, very fine medical schools. The population in medical schools that used to be 80% Jewish or very high is like 5%. There are very few Jewish people in medical schools. So a lot of Jews have a very mediocre attitude. When I grew up, the Jew, many Jewish people, and I, I hope I'm just not sounding horrible, were the top of their classes. They were brilliant. They, they, today, they, they just don't have the same attitude. It's, it's, it's a cultural thing, and it's, it's, it's a thing that many people in my generation see and are just really hoping to do something to encourage. I have a wonderful son. I pray every day that he meets a nice Jewish girl. He's a great catch. He has so many qualities that anybody would be very delighted for. And he says to me all the time, you know, Mom, 
I can't find a nice Jewish girl. Either they drink too much, either they, they're not in shape. They're not, so it's just a whole big, so it, there is a whole big other issue that is also going on. So whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I mean, I think if, if you're, I don't know if, it's, if, if this is what you're alluding to, but there is, I, I, I don't call that a crisis, but we are in a, what I described as an educational drought. We don't know Judaism. And again, part of the prescription in the book is, here's a way to acquaint Jews at the right age with Judaism, with the idea not of, of retaining 100%. Not everybody who's born Jewish has to have Jewish children. That, that doesn't have to work you know, for, in order for us to survive. But we do need, there is a magic number. It's a, there, is, there is a number below which we, 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 we don't sustain ourselves. Um, and having some exposure to who we are, and whether that's a pride thing or just a knowledge thing, know, know who you are, um, I, I agree with you, that's, that, that's critical. Thank you. I'm going to take one, one final question, and then maybe we can approach you first. Yeah, of course. Afterwards. Sorry. Please. Thank you for coming. Thank I you. I really enjoyed it. Um, we got your book, so we'll read it. Um, so my question to you, well, first of all, I want to say, for me, there's no, I'm a convert, and there's no question that it's important that we have Jews in the world. I feel there is a great Jewish brain trust in the world um, that has brought us so much from our, our our whole legal system that is, I mean, a lot of the United States was founded upon Jewish principles. I mean, the Jews have been our Nobel Prize winners. Yeah. And I mean, we, I actually have studied on IQ, and, and I know it's very incorrect to say, but from what I've read, the average um, Ashkenazi IQ um, is the highest of all Jewish IQs. I mean, the fact is, the Jews are something special, and I think we need to keep them. Um, and. I think one problem Jews have, though, is they, they argue. Everybody has all their own opinions about everything. And right now, there's a big split, I feel, between the reform side and the other sides of Judaism. I've been reading about these attacks in New York on Orthodox people, yeah. and they're not being confronted by any of the Jewish agencies. Yeah. Um, and it's because of the whole, you know, who are, who are they allied to, yeah. the agencies. Not to their more orthodox brethren, which I think is not what a family should do. So I think a big part of the problem, and I don't know if it's in your plan, I'll have to see when I read the book, but is the real split between the Judaism that I see now and I'm living with Rabbi Alush and the Judaism in that most American Jews experience, which is um, reform, is very liberal. Mm -hmm. Based on you know, as Michael Medved says, it's it's um, it's the Democrat Party with a, a few holidays thrown in. Right. And I think I don't know if you if you have talked about that in your book, but to me that's a real issue. So I do talk a little bit about this Sephardic model of association with Judaism, which I think gets it right. Uh, what we did, what Ashkenazi Jewry did about 200 years ago, was start trying to become Christian. Uh, we split into de denominations, and I think that was, that, that was part of it. This was a, a German and American Jewish phenomenon, primarily. Um, right in, in most of Sephardic Jewry, there's one denomination, and we're pretty loose about how you affiliate. You want to drive here? That's your business. We don't, we don't care. But this is Judaism, and this is, this is how we, I think that's actually a, a, a great, great approach to Judaism. It's a very Jewish approach to Judaism, which is, again, we have to be able to tolerate dissent. 
It's not that if you and I disagree, we put up a wall and then I call myself reform and I do things differently from you and I want to hear from you anymore. That's, that's not Jewish. That, that's not the way we've, we've gotten on, uh, um, or at least in, in, our, in our constructive period, that's not the way we've, we, we, we've interacted with each other. Um, I, I am actually optimistic that those walls are coming down by themselves. I see more and more Jews, both in this country and in Israel, who first of all want to affiliate with Judaism, young people, and I think that's probably not a Jewish thing, that's more of an American thing, um, and who don't really belong to any denomination. Frankly, they don't know enough to belong to any, any, any denomination. And by the time they do, they understand that, that, those, that those walls might actually be doing more damage than, uh, than good for us. So I often look at, um, so we started going to this place, the base, in, uh, on 83rd Street, New York, which is the Chabad uh, shul. And it's kind of very, sort of it's like a rundown uh, old basement, essentially, is, is, is what it is. We used to go to Park Avenue Synagogue, which was kind of an icon of conservative Judaism in, 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 in the United States. And I think the reason we, we moved, and we love the rabbi there, and we love the chazan at, at, at Park Avenue there, it, it's wonderful, it's a wonderful community. But I'm sitting on, in Yom Kippur two years ago, and I'm bored, and it's getting long. And what I do is I read the Hebrew, and I read the English translations, and I try to figure out what the translator was trying to obscure when, when they were translating. <laughs> and that's kind of fun for half an hour or so. And, right, and you can see, if you look when the edition of, you know, the, of uh, Machzor or Sidul or whatever it is uh, came out, you can kind of taste the sensibilities of the times based on that, you know, is it gender equality? Is it, what are we trying to, what are we trying to do in the translation? It's kind of fun, whatever. But I realize that most people don't really have that access to the Hebrew. And I look around and this guy's on his cell phone and that one's reading a book and that one's asleep and this one's been outside for the last two hours. Yeah, no, no one's eating a ham sandwich. <laughs> and, you know, I try to think, what is the exercise that we're actually doing here? So we have somebody on stage Elliot Cosgrove, who's a brilliant orator, he's wonderful, and his sermons are, they, they are, I mean, they're profound, Jewishly and, 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 and in every way. We have an amazing Chazan, an Israeli guy, Azi Schwartz, he's, he's, he's wonderful, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like going to the opera, that, that's great. But you're being broadcast to, that's, that is the experience. And I think, I, I don't know, and I, I'm, it's probably researchable, but, if you take the Hebrew translation of the word, the Greek word synagogue, you can call it a bet midrash, you can call it a bet mikdash, a house of study or a house of worship. The Yiddish word shul, school, kind of alludes to what the primary use of that facility was for most of the, of the period of, of diaspora. And I think, of course, we worshiped, but we studied. And I think the primary interaction of the Jew with Judaism for most of diaspora was much more study than worship. Again, they, they, they both existed. It was in borrowing from Christianity that we created this mass. And essentially, that, that is the ceremony. That's what we're doing. Um, by the way, it, it, Park Avenue looks like a basilica. I mean, it's a, it, it is a very Christian building. Uh, and I think in this country, especially where we, we had the carrot in front of us, and I do, do talk about this a little bit in the book, the carrot was closer than it ever was in Europe, the carrot of full membership in society. Right? We, we, we kind of touched on it in Napoleonic France briefly, maybe a little bit in Germany of, of 50 years later, but never like, never like here. And finally, again, it was, I think it was my generation. It wasn't my parents, but my generation actually got the carrot. We got it. 
But the way we got it was by essentially embracing Christianity, just calling it Judaism. And that, that I think, has been the exercise of a lot of American Judaism for, for, for a very long time. Why, you ask most young Jews, what is the most important Jewish holiday? It's Hanukkah. Hanukkah is like a tertiary event. I mean, it's it's, a, it's a kind of almost non-event, but it's our Christmas. It is the central Jewish holiday for many young Jews uh, in this country. So to me, we were chasing a, a false uh, uh, um, idol, I think, in, in, in that. Now, I, I think there's a lot of value in the reform movement. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to, this is not an indictment of, of reform Judaism uh, 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 as a whole. I think that aspect of trying to copy somebody else, trying to impose that definition, religion, on us. When we've been talking a lot about faith. In Islam and in Christianity, faith is the core of the religion, and it's just not in Judaism. So I'm not sure what we're practicing is. I don't think religion fits us so 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 neatly as a as 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 a as, as a descriptor. Um, the idea, though, of challenging how we do things, which Reform Judaism does, and certainly if it's informed challenge, I, I welcome that. I think that's great. Don't have to agree with it, but I I think it's I think it's great. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community Indeed, all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.